Hi, this is Patricia. And this is Christina. And this is What They're Worth. A podcast exposing the truths of everyday people who are willing to enter the beautiful mess of foster care and adoption. We're glad you're here. All right, everybody. Welcome back. We are so happy and excited to be bringing you episode 11 of the podcast. And today we have another awesome friend that we want to introduce you to who is going to share her story of how her family came together through adoption. And today I'm going to introduce you to Erin. So Erin, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? All right. So my name is Erin. I am originally from upstate New York. I moved to the Charlotte area uh, about 12 years ago after I finished grad school and met my husband a year after I moved here. Uh, He was a teacher as well, not at the same school, just total coincidence that we both were in Mm -hmm. education. And we've been married about almost eight years at the end of the month. And so he's now an assistant principal. I'm still a teacher. And we just wanted to grow our family. We That was something that was so important to us was to be able to have children and have a big family. And unlike what some people assume, it was not easy for us. Uh, we just kind of had that misconception of we're going to be able to have kids and it's going to be so easy and I'll be able to have this perfect teacher time baby where I can go have the baby in like February or March and take off the rest of the school year and it's going to be perfect. No, did not happen that way for us at all. Um, we have two wonderful children through adoption. They are actually twins. They turned two and a half just this month and they were totally meant to be. Not the way we thought we would end up with them, but... It was a beautiful, tragic, messy story, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Okay. Okay. So walk us through a little bit. Um, You know, you mentioned it not being easy. Um, How did you come to the decision to adopt? Because, you know, there's different ways you can go when it's not easy that aren't adoption. What led you to that and what what path did you guys end up taking to pursue adoption? Well, I think adoption was kind of always on my heart. A, I did a project when I was in high school um, about the no child policy, or excuse me, the one child policy in China. And I just said, oh, that would, I would love to be able to do that. But, you know, I knew I was going to be a teacher. So I said, I don't think I'll ever be able to afford to adopt. And it, that was just kind of the mentality I had. And when we decided to start trying for a child, you know, we were able to conceive in two months. So it was, we said, oh, this is going to be perfect. And unfortunately, we lost that child um, about nine weeks into the pregnancy. And, you know, I, again, just thought it's going to be fine. Like this, unfortunately, things like that happen and, you know, we'll still be able to have a child. And we tried for two years and nothing happened. And during that time, we tried medical intervention. We tried, you know, all these different things and it still wasn't happening. And the problem was with us was there was no problem. The doctors could never figure out what was going on. And part of that was frustrating because I said, I just wish you'd tell me like, just, this is the problem. Like, this is the problem. Here's the solution. Or this is the problem. There is no solution. But that didn't, that didn't happen. And during that time, you know, people would say to us, oh, you should just adopt. Oh, you should just do this. Or you should just do that. And I hated that phrase, just, because there is, you have to kind of go through your own path of how you're going to decide to grow your family. 
And I remember talking to my husband through it and I said, you know, all these doctors are trying to figure out what's wrong with me, why I can't get pregnant. And that's not the goal for me. The goal for me is to be able to bring home a child. So do we have to have a biological child? And we just both said, no, that's not the important thing. The important thing is for us to become parents and to grow our family. So the shift suddenly said, you know what, now it's the time to start looking for adoption. And we took a long time to decide what we were going to do. We researched all sorts of adoptions. We looked at international adoption. We looked at infant adoption. We looked at foster care adoption. And we did our research. We went to a bunch of meetings about it. We decided first to kind of knock off international adoption because it was going to be much more expensive. And, you know, us being teachers, that we couldn't just take off a month to go to this country and not bring home a child and then come back and go back and forth to those countries, you know, three, four times in some instances. So we said, you know, that's probably not going to be the best route for us. We, so we decided not to do international. So we went to some things about foster care and we had a couple of good friends that did foster care or they were able to adopt um, through the foster care system. And we sat through a couple of meetings and they were kind of in our county that we live in. They just said, you know, you're probably not going to get a child under the age of three. You're, most of the children are in our county are going to be like eight or nine years old. And I said, you know, I can teach a nine-year-old. I don't know how to parent a nine-year-old right off the bat. So I said, I don't know if that's going to be the right path for us. I said, maybe in the future. But for right now, selfishly, I want that experience with an infant. If I can't give birth to an infant, I would at least like to have that experience with an infant. So that's kind of pushed us towards looking at domestic infant adoption. And there's a lot of agencies out there. And and that took a long time, even when we decided like, this is our path. It still took a long time to decide on one agency because there are so many different kinds and you have to choose the right one for you because it might be, there were some agencies I couldn't get over that your wait time depended on um, the type of child you wanted based on race. And I said, well, that's not right. (laughs) And, or some of them were your price was different depending on the race of the child you brought home. And I said, well, absolutely not. (laughs) That's not okay. So we chose an agency that was actually based in California, but it did uh, nationwide searches for birth mothers. And the birth mothers are the ones that chose the parents, which for me being a type A personality, that was hard for me saying, wait, I don't have control over this anymore. Um, And it was an agency that the wait time was an average of six months between signing up and being placed with at least, or excuse me, having a match. So we said, okay, this sounds like the right mat, the right um, agency for us. And we signed up, I believe in December, we finished all of our paperwork, our home study and everything. We went live with our profile in December of 2015 was when we finalized everything. Mm -hmm. And we got, a call in January of 2016. So not even a month later. Mm -hmm. And I about couldn't even say the words, oh my goodness, that when we got that phone call saying that there was a mother 
in Florida that wanted to place her child. She had already placed two of her children for adoption. She was parenting two and then um, got pregnant with this one. And she said that she couldn't afford to parent a third child. So she decided to place it the baby for adoption. And, you know, we met her and everything was perfect. She just seemed wonderful. She had already been through the process before. She actually tried to contact uh, one of her children's um, adoptive parents to see if they would parent um, this child. And unfortunately, they said their family was complete, so they weren't going to. So that's when she found us. And she just seemed wonderful. We talked every single day. I went to doctor's appointments. I met her mother. I met her children. Like everything was just, it seemed to be wonderful. And I had this gut feeling that something wasn't right. And I couldn't put my finger on it. But I just said, if this father comes back, we're not getting the baby. I know it. And my husband and everybody else are like, no, 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 no. She's on board. She's already done this twice. Why wouldn't she do it again? I said, I know, but I just, something just feels different. And in March, she suddenly kind of started pulling away from me. Like she wouldn't text as often or she wouldn't call as often. And I called her agency and I said, something's up. I don't know what it is, but something's up. And we found out that she had started putting all over her Facebook page about this baby shower for her baby. And when they confronted her, she didn't know what to say. And then basically said, I can't go through with it. I, I can't go through with this. I'm, I'm not going to place my child with you. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was devastating to us because I knew something was wrong. And I just wish she would have said something. Not that her parenting her child was, there was nothing wrong with that. I give her right. credit for saying to us that it's not going to work, especially before the baby was born, because that would have been horrible to go through. But it was still hard because we weren't going to have that baby anymore. And it wasn't, we lost that baby, we lost that future of what we were already planning. But we knew, unfortunately, with infant adoption, that's a total possibility. And our agency said that it only happens about 10% of the time with them. We just happen to be part of that 10%. And we just said, okay, it's all right. Adoption is 100%. You just have to have the guts and the resilience to keep going through it. So that was in April of 2016 that she told us that she was no longer going to go through it. And the baby was born in May. And I told my husband, I said, I'm going to look her up on Facebook and see if she posted pictures of the baby. He's like, why are you going to do that to yourself? I said, I have to see him. I just have to. And she did. She posted a picture of him. And I looked at the photo and I said, it's okay. He wasn't mine. I could just, I looked at the baby and I didn't, I didn't feel anything, but that he was my child that I lost. I just said, no, this is okay. He, he's going to be okay. And we're going to be okay. And that was something I needed to do before we moved on to the next placement or the next chapter of waiting. And in June, we got a call from our agency saying that they were starting to do something new. It was called reverse matching, that they had a few expectant mothers that may not meet people's filters. Because one of the things our agency did was 
say, all right, what kind of, are you open to a child that had been exposed to alcohol or are you okay with a child that had been exposed to drugs or, you know, if a mother was incarcerated or if she had other children, it was all these different filters that we had to go through. And there were certain ones, certain mothers that they said that they weren't sure if people would be open to it. So they said we would do a reverse match saying, we have this mom that has this kind of child. Would you be open to taking the baby? And we got a call in July about this little girl that was going to be born in Seattle. And I had just had a dream that there was a little girl in Seattle waiting for us. And I said, we have to look into this. And the little girl was about to be born. She hadn't been born yet. Um, but mom had been doing some drugs and doing some things, didn't have any prenatal care. She had, mom had some health issues, but for some reason I said, I, we have to look, I, I have to, to see this through. And we called my husband's cousins who had adopted three times. And they said, you know, don't always say, they're like, don't shut the door on the babies that are exposed to drugs. It doesn't always mean anything. So just look into it a little bit farther. And we did. And my husband was saying, I will get on a plane right now if that's what you want. He's like, but I do not want you to get on a plane because you are so desperate for a baby. He's like, we have to be all in. He said, I never want our daughter to know that we were hesitant on getting her. He's like, it's either all or nothing. We cannot hesitate. Hmm. And I said, you're right. We can't do it. I said, we're not going, we're not flying across the country to look at a baby to see if this is okay. That's, that's not okay. We have to say yes. And we're all in or no. And we decided to say no. And that was really hard, even if I never laid eyes on her, even though I never flew out to see her, it was still hard to say no, especially when we'd been waiting for so long. But you have to know yourself and know your limits of can I handle everything that could happen? And if you're not okay with it, you have to walk away. And that's what we did. So a couple months more went by, which was really hard because at that point, it seemed like everybody around me was announcing their pregnancy or they were just having a baby. And I said uh, that it just, that part, that time was really, really hard to get through. But I just kept thinking in my mind, your baby is out there. Your baby is out there. It's, you just have to come. It, it's, you have to wait for the correct timing because you don't just want a baby. You want your baby. And it doesn't always happen exactly when you want it to. So we got a call in September of 2016 that there was a mom in Virginia that she was 35 weeks pregnant and she already had a little boy. She was very young. She was only 22, had a five-year-old boy already, and then unexpectedly got pregnant with this one. And we met her. She was wonderful. She sat across from me at a restaurant and said, I am so sorry that that other mother did that to you. She's like, but I am so happy that that happened to you because now I can be the one that allows your dreams to come true. And we just connected so much and we texted every day. And then she lived in Virginia 
And in October, Hurricane Matthew, I think it was, hit. And suddenly we couldn't get in touch with her. And I, again, had this feeling that something was wrong and I couldn't put my finger on it. And a couple days went by and we heard nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I was terrified. I was like, something happened. I know something happened. And finally she called us. She's like, I'm so sorry. She's just like, our roof caved in. We had nowhere to stay. I had no self-service. You know, the phones got knocked out, this, that, and the other thing. I am so sorry to put you all through this. Everything's okay. She's like, I'm going to be induced on this day. Will you come? I want you to be there for the birth. And we said, absolutely. So we packed up our stuff and drove to Virginia. And we went to the hospital at the time she told us. And we walked into the hospital and they said, and I told them the name and they looked at me and they said, we don't have anybody by that name. And I just, my heart just stopped. And I said, well, what do you mean? I said, she's scheduled to be induced at this time. And they said, we don't do inductions in the afternoon. We only do inductions in the morning. And at this point, I'm, I think they saw the panic on my face and they said, hold, hold up, hold up. And they said, what's her name again? And I told them, and they said, and they looked and they kind of paused and looked at each other. And they said, we've been trying to find her for three weeks. And I said, what do you mean you've been trying to find her? They're like, she's missed every doctor's appointment since October 1st. Oh my and I just, just panic. And we try to call her and try to call her and try to call her. And nothing. And 24 hours went by. Sorry, I'm getting emotional even though. Quite all right. You <laughs> deserve your emotion. And she said, I'm so sorry. She said, there was a mix-up at the doctor. Don't worry. I'm. St you're still getting this baby. And I said, okay, are you, are you okay? I said, I haven't heard from you. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. She's just like this whole, she's like, it's starting to hit me the gravity of what I'm about to do. And I just, I said, I, I totally understand. I said, what do you need? She's like, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. And she told me, she's like, uh, I'm going to go to the doctor on Thursday. She's like, I promise you. She's like, it's, we're going to go at this time to be induced. And she said, can you bring me some food? She's like, I don't want to eat hospital food. I said, sure. We go, to, we're on the way to the hospital and her mother calls me and says, she's in labor we have to go to the hospital. I think she's going to need a C-section. And I was like, well, we're on our way. You know, we were on the way anyway. I said, just let us know. And the phone just clicks. And I try to call her back, nothing. And I, Chris said, my husband, he said, what are we supposed to do? I said, she said that they were going to the nearest hospital, not the hospital that she told me. So I don't even know what hospital they're going to. I said, we're just going to have to wait. So we pulled over at a rest stop and we tried to call her and tried to call her and didn't hear anything. And finally she said, the mother texted me and said, I'm so sorry. She does have to have a C-section. You know, I'll let you know as soon as, as soon as you can see the baby. And we didn't hear anything for seven and a half hours. Mm -hmm. And at this point, Chris is like, what are we supposed to do? He's like, what are we supposed to do? I said, I don't know. I said, I can't just leave. Because they're telling us this is happening, I and I don't, but I don't know where she is. We tried to call every hospital in the area, and 
they said, we don't have anybody by that name. We don't have anybody by that name. And our agency was calling her. The lawyers were calling her. No one could find her. And we tried for like three more days. And finally we said, we can't do this anymore. And we packed up and we left. I still don't know what happened to her. And I still don't know what happened to the baby. Wow. It was, yeah, it was the hardest thing that we have ever done. Oh my gosh. So at that point I was broken, like just completely broken. I just felt that why did, why did that happen? Why did we have to go through that? Mm. You know, and I just, I felt for her. I said, you know, if she wasn't going to place the baby with us, why didn't she say something? Why didn't she tell us? You know, why would she sit across from me at a restaurant and say, I'm so happy that I can give you this gift and then just disappear on us. I don't understand. Mm. So I don't know if something happened to the baby. I don't know if her family said you're you can't do this. I don't we have no idea and I wish I knew, but at the same time it's not going to change what happened. So that's just something that we just had to let go and wow. it was the as I said the hardest thing that we went through in that process was letting go. So at this point, it was November, and I just said, I don't know how we're going to, I don't know what to do now. I said, I know. What that. a year. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was all throughout that. And that entire year just was so hard. And I just said, it's, it's got to happen. It's got to. We just have to keep pushing through. Like, it's going to happen. And January of 2017 came around, and I said, I can no longer control a situation that I have no control over. It's not going to work. So I'm just going to let go. And when our baby comes, it will happen. I just can't let this past year get to us. I cannot let those two failed adoptions mold me anymore. I just have to let go. And when our baby, our baby will be here when it's time. And I had about a week before I had to go back to work. So I just said, you know what, I'm just going to get the house ready. And I packed up a go bag and I reorganized my kitchen and I made a whole bunch of freezer meals and I reorganized a whole bunch of stuff. I had to do something to keep busy. I didn't realize that I was nesting because a week later I was at work, we had a snow day and I heard, I was across the hall in another teacher's room and I heard my name being called and someone's like, I'm not sure where she is. And they're like, okay. That's weird. Why would they need me? It's a snow day. So a few minutes go by, and a friend of mine goes, the office is really looking for you. I said, all right, all right, hold on. So I go back to my room, and I grab my cell phone, and I have a missed call and a missed and a text message from my agency saying, call me immediately. And then I have messages from my husband, pick up your phone. So at this point, I'm shaking because I was like, something is up. So I get on the phone with my agency and my caseworker goes, oh my God, oh my God. She's like, I have never been more excited to make a phone call in my entire life. I was like, what is going on? She's like, we have a mom. She said, she 
is only an hour away from you in South Carolina. She delivered this morning. By the way, it's twins, a boy oh and a girl. <laughs> I hit the floor. <laughs> At this point, I'm convulsively crying because I can't hold it in anymore. And my teammates in my pod where I work were all running into me thinking something was wrong. And they're like, oh, this is what's happening. So uh, they said, can you go to the hospital tonight? I said, okay, yeah, I'll be there. So I frantically tell my principal, I'm like, "Uh, by the way, peace out. I'm not coming back for a couple months. (laughs) Grab my computer, grab my purse, and I ran out the door. And we got home, and my husband and I are both shaking at this point because we can't even imagine that this is what is happening. We get on the phone, and we call the mom. And we talked to her for a little bit, and then we talked to her mom for a bit, and they said, do you want to come see the babies tonight? And I said, yeah, just tell me where I can go. So they said, can you be here by 7? And at this point, it's 3.30. I said, yeah, we we can do it. So we got the phone call at around 2.30, and by 7 p.m. that night, we were holding our son and daughter in our arms. And as soon as I put my eyes on them, I said, it all makes sense. Everything that we just went through the last almost four years, everything makes sense now because they were ours. They were the plan all along. They were the reason why we had to go through this. (laughs) And the mom was wonderful. She talked with us for a couple of hours that night. She didn't want to see the babies. She, my daughter was born first and she didn't see her. They had to take her away immediately. Um, she went into labor at 35 weeks. So she was, they were a little early and she was having trouble breathing. So she never saw her. Um, she saw my son, but didn't get to hold him and they took him away. And she said, I don't think I want to see them. I don't think I can do that. I said, that's, I said, that is your choice. I said, they were you, they are yours. They, it's your choice. And South Carolina has, um, they don't even have really a timeline of once the mom signs the paperwork, it's done. There's in some States, it's like seven business days or some that are like 45 days, depending on whatever state you are, but you do whatever age you, our agency said that you will do whatever is the fastest. So North Carolina is seven court days, South Carolina, there is no timeline. So when she signed the paperwork, it was done. And mm-hmm. she texted me after she signed the paperwork because we were in different rooms. And she said, I think I need to see them. I said, absolutely. So we wheeled them down to her and said, here's some diapers, here's some formula. You know, you take all the time you need when we close the door. And for about an hour, I just paced back and forth in my room. And I said, we have to do this. She deserves this. The kids deserve this. They need to see her. They need to say goodbye to her. And she texted me about an hour later. She goes, okay, I'm ready. And watching her say goodbye to them was the most heart-wrenching thing I've ever seen. She loved them so much. She was crying when she was putting them down. And she just held me for the longest time. And she said, I didn't know why this happened to me. I didn't know why I got pregnant unexpectedly. She goes, but I know why now. She goes, they were always yours. I just didn't know it. 
And that was just, I looked at her and I said, I'm so sorry. Cause I was crying. And I said, I'm so sorry that my happiest day is your saddest day. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, it's okay. She's like, they're going to be okay. So I'm going to be okay. And we wheeled out of the room and then she left. And it was so heart-wrenchingly beautiful and tragic at the same time. Infant adoption is wonderful, but it also comes from brokenness. The mom is to me the most selfless, wonderful person that I've ever met. To know that you're placing your child not that you have to kind of put your needs to the side and say, I want this child, or in our case, I want these children, but I know I can't. And what's best for them is for them not to be with me. And I can't imagine the heart rate, heartbreak that she had to go through. But they, they were ours. <laughs> so that's kind of our story in a long nutshell. <laughs> both processing you have us us feeling so many emotions (laughs) we this is seriously so new to us um Um, that's why we're feeling so many emotions mm -hmm. you told your story so well and i felt like i was in that room with you you did a lifetime movie yes (laughs) and especially talking about the you know that moment where the birth mother handed those children over to you i can't I cannot imagine what that took because yeah. um, I kind of know both sides of having a child biologically and then also adopting and, and, and seeing that beautiful, messy, you know, broken feeling that you are describing so mm-hmm. well. And I just, wow, that's just so much. When I'm the first thing that is coming to my mind, because we talk a lot about people's, um, fears about adoption Mm -hmm. and about foster care and you hear a lot I think there's a very big misconception about infant adoption that it's somehow easier yeah (laughs) Um, or I mean even you kind of touched on it with like what the mothers have gone through if the kids have any whatever you know any issues and there's kind of this perception that uh yeah, doing infant adoption is just smooth and mm-hmm. uh, people say stuff like, um, oh, I could never do foster care because I could never deal with that loss. And, you know, in your story, I mean, listen to how much loss mm-hmm. there was. And and I, I really appreciate you talking about the loss that the birth family, yeah. the biological mm-hmm. family goes through and that the children go through because that is even though they don't necessarily have memory of it it is a loss it is because they're not with the person they grew inside of and that is a that's a loss it is and we had that misconception too like oh this is going to be better this is going to be easier yep we we were smacked in the face of yeah no it was not (laughs) but it's worth it and that's any of them is that you're you were so sensitive about the other side the entire way and even if you weren't in the moment because I don't know what it was like in the moment I'm sure excruciating but now you reflecting back your sensitivity to those children and to those birth families is really prevalent and I think that is that goes a long way in, in 
and a lot of the misconceptions I think people have about adoption, um, adopting infants. And I think your approach um, is so genuine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, we talk about this a lot and Christine and I are very passionate about this whole, the possessiveness of children. And you said it in the beginning too, you know, it's not so much about birthing a, a child, but about being able to be a family mm-hmm. for a child and, and not to diminish at all the experience of being able to conceive and have a pregnancy, not saying that's not sacred and special. And I know that that's a loss and a pain mm-hmm. to not be able to have that. Um, but also being able to admit that even when we do adopt, even when we have biological kids, that they're not really ours. They, they're not our, you know, they're not mm-hmm. possessions. And, and to be able to kind of have like open hands to the best of our ability, because reality is whether homegrown in your stomach or adopted, they're people and they're yep. going to be their own people that our level of control over yeah. is quite limited even though some people have themselves very deceived about that yes very much so and it's so interesting to see my children now being two and a half that you know they never they obviously didn't spend any time with their birth mother except for that hour that but the nature versus nurture there's certain things that they do that they didn't get from us. I was like, Oh, you, that must be from your biological side. And then there's other things they do. And I say, Oh God, you got that from me. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's just so interesting to see that even though they were from birth, but to see the different sides of it. And one thing that we did to make sure that I want them to know that they were adopted from the beginning. I've kind of talked to them now, but we set up a private Facebook page where our only quote unquote friends, um, it's their, it's our children's names as the name. And then they're only friends with the birth mother, the birth grandmother and the birth great grandmother. And we post all of the pictures there. We give them updates through there. And I said that way, if you want to see it, you can see it. And if you don't want to, that's okay too. And they've been posting pictures of their family. Like they posted pictures at Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter. And she has, um, other children. She actually has another set of twins. Uh, she has a little wow. boy and then another set of boy girl twins. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if my daughter, uh, has that gene that her mother has of yeah. producing twins so easily. Um, so we can kind of see them growing up and see, um, so we can show them pictures of their biological siblings and, you know, traditions that they have. So, and I think that's so important. And I that, know that's, that's an ahead, important decision, but I imagine that's a difficult decision um, as Patricia and I are also like very type A people. And you mentioned that you are too, mm-hmm. um, to share that, to share them. And it kind of links back to what Patricia was just saying and that they're not our possessions. They're not you know, they have this other side that we can't just ignore. And as Patricia's kids are getting older and even my daughter is getting a little bit older and, and trying to figure out how we will introduce and mingle um, their biological mother um, 
is a bittersweet thing to tackle. It's, you know, we know mm-hmm. we will do it, but we know <clears throat> we will face our own challenges in doing so in, in quote unquote sharing. And so you doing that right from the beginning is so important and um, admirable. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, the research is there yes. to say that, you know, and a lot of people need to hear this, especially people who are thinking like, thinking I'm going to wait until infant adoption. Yeah. And there's kind mm-hmm. of that whole, I'm going to get a clean slate. I won't have to deal with the family. Right. And we really need to get that type of thinking out of our minds because the research yes. tells mm-hmm. us that the more we try to isolate kids from their blood, the more issues they have related to identity um, and that really the more open that we can be, of, of course, safe, right. openly safe, yeah. safe boundaries, <laughs> safe boundaries. The more that we can do that, the better integrated the kids are going to be with their identity. And actually the greatest predictor of attachment to adoptive family is connection to biological family. When mm-hmm. I found that out, I thought that was so weird, but it really makes sense mm-hmm. because that there's that question in their souls, no matter what mm-hmm. age they are adopted at, mm-hmm. that yearns to just know about themselves. And when adoptive parents try to just kind of wall that off, I mean, we even have a friend who was adopted as an infant who did not know she was adopted. And she just always, it was kind of like, it's like she, her psyche like knew, mm-hmm. but she didn't know how to express it. Um, and so that really drove, drove a lot of problems. And then when her parents finally told her there was this, you know, bitterness and anger and like betrayal almost. Um, and so people need to know that, you know, if you're going into it to, to possess, to have kind of control, you know, and to have kind of this picket fence thing, it's not going to be the traditional family and that's okay. It can be beautiful. But I I love what you said about being all in Mm -hmm. and being all in, like you said, that means if I fly to go get that, to parent that child, that's parent did drugs, then I'm all in for whatever comes, whatever comes with that child, Mm -hmm. the challenges that they may have. But if you're all in for adoption, that means you have to be all in for what is best for that child. And a lot of times that's going to be uncomfortable for you. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And that's going to mean having a larger extended family. Yeah. And that's part of being all in. Exactly. And that's what some people said. They're like, well, you don't have to tell them. Like they actually, and they do, they look like my husband and I, which is so (laughs) odd. And they said, you don't have to tell them. I said, I'm like, that is not right for anybody. I said, one, that's selfish on my part. And two, that is cutting them off from their identity. They need to know where they came from. They need to know that they do have this other family that, you know, the sacrifice that she made for them, they need to know that. And I just Mm -hmm. want it to be something that they just kind of always know, not like this big sit down of like, you know, when, you know, you were not mommy didn't give birth to you like you had this other person I don't ever want to have to have that like sit down I just kind of want it to always be known by them and not have that and I'm now that they're getting a little older and I mean they're two and a half they're not that much older but they are starting to understand things more I still I just want to keep talking to them which I have like at night I just I tell them about their birth mom and I just say, you know, you have an older brother, you have two older brothers and an older sister. And I kind of talk to them, but I'm starting to stumble a little bit because I don't really know 
do they want me to call them their brother and sister? Do Does the birth family want me to say birth mom? So I need to reach out to them again and say, how do you want us to address you? Because <laughs> I want to be yeah. respectful of you. That's great. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, and, and we talk about this all the time too. There's no rule book <laughs> and, and every family is different, but I love that you are humanizing every I mean I don't want to say it like that like they're not human we have to humanize them but acknowledging mm-hmm. the fact that they are just other people who are just on a different and I, I think that that's it's always great to instead of just make our assumptions or oh this is what seems kosher mm-hmm. we're actually going and saying hey yeah I want to honor you I want to tell my children about you but you know what right how do you want to be addressed how can I talk about you I think that's yeah. awesome Erin I think you've given a lot of people um, especially those who want to adopt or have adopted infants, a lot of information and really helpful information and just how to navigate it. Your struggle and your story is super important. And I think your message is awesome there too, but I think you've given a really good insight as to how to genuinely approach infant adoption in a way that's best for you in a way that's best for the birth family in a way that's best for the kids. And so I really appreciate your perspective. What I want to ask you now is more geared towards kind of as we're closing up people who may misunderstand infant adoption or maybe will have heard really negative things about it. And I'm sure you've had people maybe say things or you've heard other people talk Mm -hmm. negatively about it. Um, What would you kind of say to those people who misunderstand or not sure um, what infant adoption is all about or you know what I'm saying? Like, have you heard some of those negative things before in your journey? Yes. I had somebody say, I can't believe you would just take their kids like that. And I was like, mm. well, that's not how that works. Or I had somebody yeah. say, well, how could she just give up her kids like that? I'm like, yeah. she did not give them up. I was like, she placed them with me and my husband. That's totally different. Like that terminology. You, you, mm-hmm. They don't give them up. I said, that was a heart-wrenching and horrible experience for her because you have to put your needs aside to think of what's best for your children and that so when people say that to me there's certain things that the things you want to say and the things that you do say are very different and I get that with them being twins all the time people are looking at me they're like are they identical and I'm like they're boy and a girl (laughs) Did you miss that day in biology class? <laughs> but again, you have to just kind of think about what you want to say versus what you actually say. <laughs> and we, I think with we, infant we, adoption, uh, sometimes too. Yeah. And I just think about the fact that a lot of people do not understand it. And even people in my family, you don't understand the adoption process until you're in it. I mean, and I had that misconception too with, oh, this infant adoption is going to be easier than foster care. You really don't understand the misconceptions until you're in it. So when people say those ignorant comments of, I can't believe you just take those kids away, you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt and say, they just, they don't know what they don't know. So we can't fly off the handle of everything. you You did your homework. And I think that's what's so important for people to, you know, not all agencies are the same. Yes. And, this is a huge decision, not just for you as a parent, as a person, but this is other people's lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so people, it sounds like, should be very cautious and should be very thorough 
and investigating who they choose, you know, cause I mean, you're trusting an agency essentially to be ethical, to be mm-hmm. fair, yes, to not manipulate people. You know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, cause you want them to, I mean, human trafficking is a real thing. We don't want to be no parts of that. Right. Yeah. So do your Absolutely. homework. Yes. That would could be Follow my number one advice. Do your, your homework. Conscience, you know what I mean? Listen to your conscience. Yes. <laughs> if something feels off. Yes. Listen to your body. Yes. And soul telling you. And one thing that I uh, I've heard and they said was, you know, you just have to love your birth mom. They're like, she might have a different lifestyle than you. You she might have different perspectives than you, but she is trusting you with her child. You have to love that birth right. mom. And that's something that I did with all three of the ones that we went through. And, but with that opposite side of the coin is love your birth mom, but trust your gut. If something doesn't feel right, investigate it. I don't know if something would have changed in our story. And part of me doesn't want anything to change in our story because it led us to our twins, but it might not have ended up in so much heartbreak. Because maybe the first one would have said something to me a month before when I saw something happening. Or maybe the other one would have told us the truth of what really happened. It's just love your birth mom, but trust your gut. If something's... Love that. Love that too. Erin, it's been such like... I feel like I really feel educated (laughs) and... You really did tell your story so well. Mm-hmm. Well, thank um, you. I'm going to say it's part of your education, your, you being a teacher. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you told your story so well and so beautifully. And I just thank you for being transparent about the hard stuff um, in your in your experience, but also the outcome that was so awesome for you and in, in getting your, your twins and and loving on them, loving his their birth mom and the birth family and mm-hmm. Um, I'm just so excited to actually share this with with our listeners and with whoever else wants to know about it. Um, I feel a little bit more educated now to speak on it. And I hope someday we are, we're able to meet you. Absolutely. Because we're super close. Yes, that would be great. <laughs> well, thank you for allowing me yeah, to definitely. share our story because it is one that it has beauty in it, but it does have tragedy. And people need to hear both parts of that because if you're waiting for a child and you only hear the good stories it's hard to get through that hard stuff you sometimes want to hear the messy and you want to hear the tragic because it kind of helps you realize that it's okay that I'm feeling this way it's okay that I'm going through this too yep right right and I think you know the kind of the message of your story and really everybody that we've had on the podcast is that when you said it well, like foster care and adoption is just beautiful. It's messy, but at the end of the day, it is worth it. Mm -hmm. And you do have to be committed to the process and whatever really honestly that process is, there are going to be challenges. And I think being prepared the best that you can and really the biggest way of being prepared is having realistic expectations (laughs) and expecting the unexpected. And being in it for the right reasons. (laughs) And those are the things that are going to get you through. Absolutely. If you liked today's episode, we'd love to hear from you and get a review on any of our podcast places. We'd also love to hear from you on Facebook or Instagram. Comments, feedback, or if you'd like to be a potential guest. Hope to hear from you soon.